The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. to go to the Michigan 34 for first down. Fourth down and 10. Young and Goodson in the backfield. Goodson has been terrific out of the backfield receiving. Stanley in trouble. Stanley retreating. Stanley throws. Caught. Goodson gets to midfield. Dives forward but won't have enough. And the Michigan defense holds. Don Brown brought pressure again. And with 37 seconds to go, Michigan getting to the quarterback. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who previews this week's Iowa-Penn State game and also reflects on the Hawks' 10-3 loss at Michigan last Saturday. Plus, we have Bonenkamp's Big Breakdown, John Bonenkamp's weekly look at Big Ten football. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Penn State's James Franklin. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporters. Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, along with award-winning sports writer John Bonenkamp. The Iowa-Michigan game highlights are courtesy of Fox with announcers Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Second down and six at the 43 for Nate Stanley. Torin Young comes in, running back by committee at Iowa. Stanley delivers to the sideline and picked up by the Wolverines. Josh Metellus, first interception of the year for Nate Stanley. Stanley looked directly at the fade route, then threw it, and that's an easy interception for Metellus. So both of these experienced veteran quarterbacks making huge mistakes here early in the game. Sargent, loose. Michigan may have it, and they do. So instead of turning the ball over on their first offensive series, the Wolverines force a turnover on Iowa's first offensive series. Avery Thomas covers it up. And what a turn of fortune here for Michigan as the exact opposite happens than what was happened for them in the first three weeks. Only Iowa's second turnover of the year. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. The Iowa Hawkeyes host the Penn State Nittany Lions under the lights Saturday evening at Kinnick Stadium in a battle of two top 20 ranked Big Ten teams. It's a big game for both teams as Penn State faces its first serious road challenge of the season and the Hawkeyes try to rebound from their loss at Michigan last weekend. Iowa can ill afford a second loss in Big Ten play if it wants to control its own destiny in the Big Ten West Division. The Hawkeyes are 4-1 and one and one and one in conference play. They are ranked 17th in the AP poll and 18th in the coaches' rankings. Penn State is undefeated at 5-0 and 2-0 in the conference, having defeated Idaho, Buffalo, Pitt, Maryland, and Purdue. The Nits are ranked 10th in the AP poll and 9th in the coaches' rankings. This is the second straight year these two teams will face off when both are ranked in the top 25 in the AP poll, and it's the 29th game in the series. 
series. Penn State has a 16-12 advantage in those games against the Hawkeyes and have won the last five contests played between the two teams. Prior to that, Iowa had won three straight. The Nittany Lions are 10-9 against Iowa since they joined the Big Ten in 1993. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is the dean of college football coaches in his 21st season at the head of the Hawkeyes with a record of 156 and 102 at Iowa. Penn State head coach James Franklin is in his sixth year heading the Nittany Lions program. His record there is 50 and 21. His overall record as a college head coach is 74 and 35 over a span of nine years. In game notes, both teams have a top five defense in the FBS. Penn State's scoring defense is second, allowing just 7.4 points per game, while Iowa is third, allowing only 8.8 points per game. The Hawkeyes have only allowed five touchdowns through their first five games and gave up just their first rushing TD last weekend at Michigan. The Hawkeyes and Nittany Lions are two of just six schools in the FBS to allow one or fewer touchdowns this season. Penn State also has a prolific scoring offense, averaging 47 points per game. That's fifth in the nation. Each team will feature a starting key player from the opponent's state. Safety Geno Stone has emerged as a key leader and star in the Hawkeyes' defensive secondary. Penn State's place kicker is Jake Penniger. He grew up in Ankeny and played at Centennial High. Tidbits and nuggets. This game is the annual black and gold spirit game at Kinnick. It's also the annual ANF game where former Iowa player Matt Kroll from Mount Vernon will be recognized as the latest addition to the ANF Wall of Honor. This will be the 20th night game in Kinnick Stadium history and the Hawkeyes will be hosting Penn State for the fourth time under the lights. In those games, Iowa is just 1-2 and two versus the Nets. Overall, the Hawkeyes are 13-6 in night games played at Kinnick Stadium and 3-4 and four against ranked opponents. Iowa is hosting a reunion of the 2009 football team this weekend, with at least 50 members returning to Iowa City for that event. That squad finished 11-2 overall and concluded the season by defeating then-ninth-ranked Georgia Tech 24-14 in the Orange Bowl. The game will be televised by ABC with announcers Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, and Holly Rowe. It will be broadcast as usual on the Hawkeye Radio Network with announcers Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks, and it will also be on satellite radio, XM Channel 195, and Sirius Channel 133. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. The clock is becoming a factor where against this defense, depending on how many yards they gain, you might want to think about going for it on fourth down, depending on what happens here. Third down and 24. Stanley under pressure. Stanley dropped again. Cameron McGraw, first man, two of eight, sack of the day for the Wolverines. Give a lot of credit to Don Brown because he found that pressure and he's gone back to it time and time again, and Iowa has not adjusted up front. Next.
Next up is Bonenkamp's big update. You can follow John Bonenkamp on Twitter at John Bonenkamp, and you can read John's articles on Sports Illustrated's Hawkeye Maven at maven.io forward slash Iowa and also at hawkeyesmike.com. John talks Big Ten football week seven in the 2019 season. We welcome back John Bonenkamp with the scoop from the Points Bet Sports Bar at Catfish Bend Casino in Burlington. But John, before we get to this week's games, let's do the usual. A couple of interesting notes from the Big Ten Conference football season as a whole so far. There's six contests this week highlighted by a pair of divisional matchups. There's still four teams that remain undefeated on the season. The Buckeyes are 6-0. and Minnesota, surprise. Penn State and Wisconsin are 5-0. and And of course, Iowa dropped off that undefeated list after its loss at Michigan last week. For the Buckeyes, it's the sixth time in the last eight years they've been 6-0. and And the Nits and the Badgers, 5-0 and for the first time since 2017. And the Gophers haven't opened the season with five victories since 2004. So the boat must be rowing with all oars right now. <laughs> and the other thing that remains uh, steady, a week in and week out so far this season, Ohio State and Penn State are currently among the top five nationally in both scoring offense and scoring defense. Pretty amazing there. So yeah, it really is. It really is. It really is when you when you think about it. I mean, because they're going to play each other at some point here, and so it'll be curious to see how it all works out. Um, an interesting division all the way around. Last week's results. I think uh, when we did our show last week, there wasn't even a line on Maryland at Rutgers, if I remember no. that correctly. And, uh, and guess what? There's not one this week on Rutgers in Indiana. That's, so. You stole my intro to that game. <laughs> uh, Michigan, um, Michigan, of course, whipped the Hawkeyes up there in a pathetic offensive performance by Iowa. And in our group of seven who make our predictions on uh, Friday mornings, only one person got the outcome right, and he was way off on the score. So that kind of fooled everybody. Penn State pretty much manhandled Purdue, which probably will get healthy just in time for next week's game at Kinnick. Of course. Wisconsin had no issues with Kent State. Minnesota pounded Illinois. That outcome, the final score at least, was a little surprising. Ohio State just whomped Michigan State. Clearly, the Buckeyes are the best team in the conference, at least, you know, maybe until they come up against Penn State if if, uh, the Nittany Lions get by Iowa. And then in one of the more interesting games of the weekend, Nebraska squeaked by Northwestern in Lincoln, 13 to 10. Yeah, an interesting game because, I mean, that was, and I mean, it looked like it looked like it was a high scoring affair too. Um, but as I was, you know, as, as I saw the highlights of that, I was like, um, you know, Northwestern seems to be just really pesky right now, but just can't kind of seem to, to, to get a win right now, which means in a couple weeks when Iowa's there, they'll be, you know, but for Nebraska, I mean, that's a game that you can't let, that they couldn't let get away. You know, if that one gets away, then maybe the season gets away, but now it gives them a little bit of a, a little bit of a breath of life now as they head up to Minnesota this weekend. So yeah, a little bit of a, I don't know if I'd call it a quarterback controversy, but there's questions being posed about what Fitzgerald is doing right now with his quarterback position. So yeah, you can't talk about Northwestern enough. I don't, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, seriously. I mean, I, you can just tell that team is, is doing just enough to hang around in games. And that means that in a couple weeks, there are going to be a lot of problems for Iowa, just the way it always works out. So, <laughs> okay. Week seven. Now let's start right at the top. 11 a.m. kickoffs. First, Michigan at 
at Illinois on ABC. Yeah, Michigan's a 22-point favorite. An interesting number considering they're on the road, considering they scored just 10 points against Iowa last week. They're a 22-point favorite. The over-under is 49. You know, I I, I, I don't... I, that that seems like a really high number. I mean, I know Illinois is not that good, and, and, and but Michigan's offense the other day just, just didn't look you know, I mean, they were content to just kind of move the ball and hold on to the ball. They weren't really throwing it. Now, you may they they may open up a little bit against this Illinois team that, that I don't think is very good defensively. Um, but I did find that number a little bit high, especially for a road game. But the over-under at 49 seems about right. It's going to be, it, it, it'll be an interesting test for Michigan because I know last week that game at Iowa, they they were, you know, you could tell from just listening to the fans, it was like, uh, it, it was a win, but it didn't really feel like a win for them. So I, I think this is a team that's got to get some momentum going and I think they need to have a big game at Illinois. I think Michigan's offense is still a question mark because first you know if Minnesota put 40 on the board against Illinois, Illinois is not the Iowa <laughs> top 10 defense. No. But you don't know what you have in Michigan's offense yet with that new coordinator up there. So Right and that's what I mean. It, 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 the other day they were, I mean they, they hit just enough big plays to, to kind of keep the, the momentum going but really I mean they're, they're 10 points. I mean they got you know they get the turnover early in the game game you know in in deep in Iowa territory and only get a field goal out of it and again that was a credit to Iowa's defense but that shows right now that this, this offense doesn't have a lot of creativity to it so like I said that makes that number seem a little bit high and I, I do think this is a game that Michigan has to break out against because if they can't score against Illinois then they're not going to be scoring against too many teams this year right and offensively at least Illinois is not Rutgers either so no no and that's the other thing too so so that's why I think like I said I think I thought that line was a little high, but you know that's that's the way it is right now. So I, I would imagine it maybe it moves down a little, maybe it moves down a little bit just because I think you know maybe some people kind of recognize that this isn't a really good Michigan offense right now. Next game, 11 a.m. BTN Rutgers at Indiana. You already said there's not even a line. Yeah, and I mean I would imagine if if when there is a line, I think Indiana's a big favorite in that one. This is a Rutgers team that I just don't see them winning a game this year and. And, uh, you know, it's in and Indiana's at home. So I think that's going to be a big line. I, I, you know, the over under will probably be in the 40 somewhere. I mean, this is just this is just a terrible Rutgers team. And, you know, every, you can see everybody starting to leave that sinking ship. And, you know, it, you, it, it'll be curious to see how that how that ends up, because, I mean, it could be you're talking about one and 11 and 0 and nine very easily. And, and then what becomes of that program? It's in, it's in such a bad place. You know, this is something that might take years to recover from so you know looking short range i think indiana whatever the points are i i would take indiana points because i think they roll in this one pretty easily also 11 a.m also on btn maryland at purdue that one's kind of interesting it's also purdue's homecoming yeah it's maryland's on the road and they're in their in their three and a half point favorite and the over under is 54 so um you know again purdue you don't know what you're going to get out of them right now i mean they've had a lot of injury issues but yeah it's a home game you know this is a maryland team a couple weeks ago, you know, played just an awful game against Penn State. You know, so that's why I was a little bit surprised they were a favorite on the road. I thought maybe that would be like a, you know, Purdue minus one. But but surprisingly, they're the favorite in that one. And, and the over-under seems a little high, too. So and a curious line for that game. I mean, like I said, I just you don't know what you're going to get out of Purdue. You don't know what you're going to get out of Maryland. That's that's just a game that it, it just seems really weird when you look at the line. Boy, if Purdue loses that one at home Oof. on their homecoming. 
coming. That is Oof. a one and five. Yep. Start an zero and, and three. Uh, it'd be zero and four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for the future there. You know, this team for this year. I mean, this is a game that I think Purdue's got to get. Shifting times here. Two thirty p.m. BTN. One of the more interesting games of the week. It's the Badgers' homecoming in Madison, and they're hosting Michigan State, which is obviously looking to bounce back from last week against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin ten and a half point favorite at home. You know, I think I think they cover on that one. I think this is this is probably you know this is probably like a twenty to seven game, twenty seven seven game, something like that. I mean, I just don't see Michigan State getting a lot of points against them against that defense. Over under is forty and a half, which you know seems a little bit low. But like I said, I don't think Michigan State gets a lot of points out of this game. I think I think this is another easy Wisconsin win, and I mean it just seems like it's going to be one of those defensive games. But I think Wisconsin's offense is just so much better at this point. As we're getting closer to the date when Iowa travels up to Madison, I think it's important to note what Jonathan Taylor, the running back, is doing up there. Last week he scored five touchdowns in just over a half, and he passed Melvin Gordon for third place all time. That's uh, that's quite an accomplishment. He also passed Monty Ball in terms of uh, 100-yard games. Well, you look at his, you look at his numbers, and I mean this this will be the halfway point of the season, and um, he might be at the thousand yards by you know if he has a really big game on Saturday, you know he's either going to be close or right around the thousand yard mark at the halfway point of the season, and you know and he's got twelve TDs. That that to me is a pro- very productive running back right now, and that that's a hard guy to bring down, and I think he's gonna he's gonna have a big day against Michigan State at it. Six thirty Saturday evening, and this is a real interesting game on FS1 Nebraska at Minnesota with Big Ten West implications very large for both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Minnesota's seven and a half point favorite over under fifty one. You know, I mean, this this is a very surprising Minnesota team, but I think this is a really good test for them because for Nebraska, this is really you have to kind of look at it because they still got to play. If they want to get back in the West Division race, they got to win this game. And you know, and Minnesota's playing really well right now. The other thing to kind of look at is the weather on Saturday up there. You know, looking the thing here, the the forecast for game time is is forty degrees and a rain snow mix. So um, you know, I find I find that an interesting and it, and it's supposed to be windy too, and so. So that that could be a game that that I think you know weather plays a factor in that game I think and and so I I mean like I said this is this is Nebraska's best chance to get back in the West Division race if, if they don't win this game you've got two you know you got two division losses or two conference losses and you still haven't played Wisconsin you know you still haven't played some of the better teams yet so I think that I I, I don't know I don't I think this is a game I stay away from because that seems like a really high line for Minnesota but then again Nebraska only scored 13 last week so. You you know, like I said, weather can play a factor in that game, but I, I just think I think Minnesota wins this game. I'm not so sure they cover. I think this is like a 2017 game somewhere around there. But I think Minnesota comes out of this one with a win. All right, now to the game that most of us care about here: Penn State at Iowa, uh, 6:44 p.m. Central Time kickoff under the lights at Kinnick on ABC. The Black and Gold Spirit game. Two of the best defenses in the nation going against offenses that the Hawkeyes have something 
to prove after last week, and Penn State hasn't faced a defense anywhere near as good as the Hawkeyes is, nor have they played, in, including in the this first-year quarterback they have, have they played in nearly as hostile an environment as Saturday night at Kinnick is going to be for the Nits. The over-under is only 42, which, I mean, makes sense because, I mean, you got two teams that average giving up, you know, combined, what, 13 points, somewhere around there combined. Penn State's a three-point favorite. Which I mean, I, I think that line seems about right. I think this is I think this is a close game. You know, I think I think it's a close game, and I think it'll be one that, that gets kind of aggravating for Iowa fans because I think they're going to see some opportunities in this game. Iowa will, and, and and it's just a matter of converting in these games. You know, it's it's Penn State has has really kind of given them a little bit of trouble when they've played them, and and, and this is this team's as good as as the other ones they've played. So I, like I said, Penn State's just a three point favorite. The over under seems reasonable. I, I think this is a game that we're both of them are, you know, like I said, I think it's probably in that 20 to 17 range, kind of like what I said about Minnesota, Nebraska. I, I, I think it's just a, a really close game. I think Penn State gets the win. That was brilliant. This field position with the wind where it's at, Iowa will stay on the field in a short yardage situation, try for a fourth down conversion. Fourth down and three at the 36, Hawkeyes rolling the dice. Tyler Goodson, the freshman from Georgia in the game. Here's Stanley to throw on fourth down. Stanley over the middle and picked off. Thomas grabbed it. Third interception for Stanley in this game. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz, who assesses this year's Penn State team and the challenges it presents to Iowa this Saturday night. Playing a team that's a top 10 football team and uh, certainly worthy of that. They're playing with great uh, confidence right now, great momentum. So, you know, they come in here, they're really uh, doing well. And like typical of any Penn State team that we've played through the years, they're uh, well coached. They've got good athletes, good players at every position. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, very, very impressive in what they've done thus far. I think uh, maybe as impressive as anything right now, they graduated just a tremendous player, tremendous competitor at the quarterback position, and uh, this guy's jumped in and done a really nice job. So uh, that doesn't seem to be a big issue for him right now. And then number one, uh, is a very, very versatile, very dynamic uh, home run kind of threat player, whether it's offensively or on special teams. So he's he's certainly uh, somebody that's got our attention. And then defensively, they're playing extremely well, and uh, they've got good players all three levels up front, middle, and uh, the secondary. So, you know, just uh, as you would expect, they're, they're a really good football team, very, very balanced, very strong run pass offensively or defensively and good on special teams. So all that being said, you know, it should be a great environment in Kinnick, and uh, we're looking forward to, you know, doing our best this week to get ready to, to uh, take on a big challenge on Saturday night. Ferentz was asked about Nate Stanley's resiliency, his demeanor, and growth over the years. Certainly, uh, he's a more experienced, uh, older, more confident, and, you know, a complete football player, which you'd expect for anybody uh, in any position, but first point is, I mean, it was a team loss. I mean, we, we didn't do enough to help him. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there were plays he could have done better on too, but it's it was a team loss. We all had a hand in that. So, you know, it's going to be a team effort to get back up on our feet. And I think, yeah, the, the challenge for him is the same challenge we have as a football team right now is, you know, we got knocked down. We got, uh, you know, came away with a disappointing day, but can we get back up and go to work and uh, move forward? And so it's, you know, it's a 12-game season. There's there's a chance that's going to happen during the 12-game season. You don't want it to happen, but if it does happen, you know, what are you going to do moving forward what's your response going to be and I think that's where we're all focused right now and you know I'm confident he'll play well hopefully we can play well around him and 
you know, look better offensively. Can't have a glass jaw. I mean, you just can't have a glass jaw in this sport. And really, you can't have a glass jaw on anything that's competitive and hard to do. So, you know, nobody feels good about what happens, certainly, you know, and uh, really nobody feels worse than the people right there on the front. So, you know, what the answers are the question, the secret is what can you do to move forward? How do you how do you avoid from, uh, you know, having days like that again, that type of deal? So, but it, but it's a team effort. Everybody's got to do a little bit better. Starting, starting right at the top. Barrett's talks about safety Geno Stone, his leadership and his growth into one of Iowa's best defensive players. I mean, that's what you count on your leadership for uh, because things are always going to happen during the course of the season. Whether somebody getting hurt, you know, we're a little depleted here, depleted there, or, you know, whatever happens, a loss on the road or what have you. You know, there's always going to be things that you don't want to take place. So that's, that's a, you know, the beauty of having veteran leadership. And Geno's not a senior, but he's a veteran player that everybody respects and knows that, you know, he, he's going to be ready to go and will go when it's time to go. So, yeah, that, that's how teams operate. You know, it's just like anything else that uh, you rely on those guys not only to perform well, uh, but also help help steady the ship when things aren't going so well. And to, to the performance part, I mean, you know, you talk about guys doing things in practice and then having it carried to the game. I think he had two picks last week in practice. So maybe not on the same exact routes or patterns, but just, you know, doing things right during the week and those things will tend to show up. So he's, he's a good illustration of that, certainly. I know Kent State, I think the Patriot League schools were looking at him too. We just saw he's a good football player. Yeah, maybe he's, you know, not tall enough, quite tall enough or quite fast enough, but he plays good football. And I hate to use the word instinct because that, that makes it sound like, you know, the guy doesn't work at it. He works at it. There's instinct of players tend to be guys that really study and they get a little edge through, uh, you know, being smart players. So I think he's a really smart football player. He's a quarterback. That probably helps a little bit too. And um, yeah, he's just a, just a good all-around football player that maybe other people thought wasn't quite, you know, not quite, but you know, we thought he's pretty good. And Kirk Ferentz talks about how others, including NFL scouts, fail to see what the Hawkeyes see with respect to players like George Kittle and Desmond King. Yeah, we just talked about Geno, and, and you mentioned Desmond, so I'll throw in Micah Hyatt. I know he's going to be here this weekend. I mean, we're going to have a bunch of people here, but uh, Micah, they must have a bye. Um, probably in that same category again, not, not quite big enough, not quite fast enough. And even in the draft, you know, with Micah and Desmond, you know, they ended up being middle round type players because they, they didn't quite have the measurables. And I get that and I understand that and appreciate that, but they're both doing really well at that level. And uh, those are great mid-round picks, certainly because they just, you know, they have the ability to play and play well. But neither one of them are ever going to be a 4-3 guy. That's just not what they are, but they're really good football players. So, you know, that's probably the market we're looking for in recruiting, you know, guys that maybe aren't uh, obvious, you know, marquee school type guys, but can still play. And then George, I think, is a little different story in that, you know, to me, he, he just keeps on blooming and developing. And you see guys bloom uh, in their senior years in high school. You see guys kind of develop in college. Jack Kerner might be going through that right now, Gino. And then in George's case, you know, probably where he got drafted probably is not totally off the, the target. And then you know, he just keeps getting better and better. I don't realize he scored last night, but I'm not surprised. So you know, he's just he's just kind of hitting stride right now. It's really exciting for him. <laughs> Next, we hear from Penn State head coach James Franklin, who talks about this season's version of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa has so much respect uh, for Kirk Ferentz, you know, in their program. The consistency that they've had, uh, I think, is incredible, you know, in a profession that there's not a whole lot of that left. Um, He's done an unbelievable job for that university. Um, The consistency on their staff, you know, it's it's amazing. You put the tape on, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it looks the same as it did four years ago, and I hope that comes off the wrong way because I, I mean that as the, the ultimate compliment. They do what they do, and they do it really well. 
Obviously, going into Kinnick Stadium is going to be a challenge. We look forward to being able to wave to the children in the Children's Hospital, one of the most special traditions in all of college football. We also know how successful that they have been playing in these type of games. Ohio State, number three, Nebraska, number 17, Michigan, number two, Michigan, number 15, Michigan State, number five. We know how successful they've been in these types of games. Uh, returning 12 starters, um, you look at them offensively, Brian Ferentz is their offensive coordinator, done a great job. You look at kind of who they are. They're an 11 personnel team and 12 personnel team. They'll also get into 21 and 22. They're maybe a little bit than how they, they're maybe a little bit different than how they've been in years past. Uh, stylistically, uh, on offense, uh, we're impressed with Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle, really both offensive tackles to Alaric Jackson, number 77. The quarterback, Nate Stanley, big, good-looking, uh, seasoned, experienced quarterback. I was I was kind of really impressed with him at the Big Ten Media Days. He's a big, good-looking sucker. Uh, and then wide receiver number six, uh, Smith Marset, and then wide receiver number 89, who's also a return specialist, and Nico, I don't want to mispronounce his last name. Defensively, Phil Parker, I think, does as good a job as anybody in the country. Um, obviously, their defense is ranked extremely high and, and very well thought of in, in scoring defense. Been there for 21 years, uh, seven years as the defensive coordinator. Um, again, you look at what they do defensively, they're a four-down bench front mainly a two high team with variations of, of one high whether it's uh, you know cover three or fire zone pressures you look at them again their their scoring defense is ranked number third uh, excuse me is ranked third um, in the country and third in, in, in FBS third in the Big Ten. We're very, very impressed with their defensive end, A.J. Epinesa, number 94. Um, number 11, uh, Michael Ola, again, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but number 11, their cornerback. And then uh, their safety, number 9, Geno Stone. We've been very impressed with him. He's a kid from Pennsylvania. I think he's playing extremely well. You know, it's it's hard to watch a, a young man from Pennsylvania playing at another program in our conference playing so well. I got a lot of respect for him. Um, he has really developed into to one of the premier players in my mind in the Big Ten. Special teams, they do a great job. As we know, they gave us a bunch of challenges and fits last year on special teams. LeVar Woods does a great job for them uh, as an Iowa grad, does a great job. Franklin was asked how his first year starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, has stepped into a leadership role and how the team has responded to him as the signal caller. Really good. It's 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 kind of how he's wired. Um, you know, I also think it's, it, you know, he's been, you know, groomed for this. I take a lot of pride that, you know, that we've developed you know our quarterbacks you know in-house you know I, I love his approach he's been aggressive since the really the you know, day he stepped on campus um, from a football perspective from a weight room perspective you know really all of it from a leadership perspective he, he's he's probably more vocal um, than than what Trace was but he is fiery and he's competitive and he understands how to prepare he understands that playing the quarterback position is is a, it's a lifestyle you know it's you, it, you know, you don't. You're not the quarterback when you step on the on the football field. You're the quarterback when you leave your house in the morning. You're the quarterback when you go to bed and put your head on the pillow. Everybody knows that you're the quarterback uh, on campus, and 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 you need to understand that. You know, I, I think I've said this before: is if if you think that's pressure, then you probably shouldn't be playing quarterback. But that's that's the reality of it. Even at little old East Stroudsburg, that was ingrained in me and taught 
to me. You know, playing quarterback is a is a lifestyle. Uh, it really is. And and to be honest with you, I think that's kind of permeated through our entire program. That you know, um, Shaka Tony knows being a part of Penn State football and and being a defensive lineman. It's a lifestyle. It's not just you know showing up and what you do on the field. It's all of it. Franklin was asked how his highly rated defense might still be able to improve. The the first thing I would say is that we're one of only two programs in the country that are ranked in the top five in scoring offense and scoring defense. So I think, you know, we're playing, you know, at a really high level on both sides of the ball. And I think one complements the other. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for us, um, you know, um, protecting the football and offense and creating turnovers on defense is, is something that we always emphasize and believe in, you know, creating explosive plays and eliminating explosive plays, um, you know, both on offense and defense are, are important. But, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to find a whole lot of things to be critical about, you know, with our defense right now. Um, I think the one area that we could we could improve on is is, is turnovers and is getting a few turnovers, you know. So, um, you know, we'll see. You know, last time I gave uh, a little bit of criticism in this meeting uh, was against the defensive line, and they weren't real happy about it, but uh, they, they've responded fairly well. So, you know, maybe if I bring up these turnovers, maybe we'll have 10 turnovers in the, in the game uh, on Saturday. And James Franklin talks about Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and the consistency Ferentz has developed over the years at Iowa. I think they are a program and a team that has an identity and have built towards that identity and recruited towards that identity and schemed towards that identity for a long time. Um, that starts with the head coach. Um, that starts with the hiring and, and the ability to keep, you know, assistance, you know, uh, for long periods of time. Um, and I, I think what they've done a really good job is not allowing, um, you know, maybe what is the, the hot fad or the sexy current fad to impact them. You know, they're, they're going to do it the way they do do it. You know, I, I look at Wisconsin very similar in that light as well, um, and, and Iowa in that light. You know, so when you're able to keep you know a head coach there as long as they've you know kept him there, and um, and they have an identity, and the identity fits the university, the identity fits the community, and they get that. They know who they are, and they're every day they're building towards that. And when you have that, you know, you got a chance to have sustained success. And I think that that may sound easier to do to sit up here and say it than it is to actually go out and do it because you look you look all over the the country and it's it, people are having a hard time replicating that. I also think that it appears to me that it's appreciated there. You know, the level of consistency that they have um, is appreciated is appreciated there. So I think it's a it's really kind of a combination of all of it. <laughs> Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. Second and five of the 45. Michigan playing an up-tempo game offensively. Patterson delivers and picked off. Jay Patterson.
Patterson. Geno Stone just plucked it out of the air. And Shea Patterson continues to turn the football over. Shea Patterson forced the ball down the field to a safety that was retreating, and that's why he's so frustrated, and he knows it. A poor decision leads to the turnover. Geno Stone did a great job sinking into that zone and ultimately intercepting that ball. Time now for our reporter's notebook feature this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve reflects on the road loss to Michigan and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's game, Iowa-Penn State under the lights at Kinnick Stadium. We welcome back Steve Batterson for the big game this Saturday at Kinnick under the lights, Iowa versus Penn State. But before we do that, Steve, as painful as it may be, we need to take one look back. Your reflections on Iowa's 10-3 loss at Michigan. Yeah, very un-Iowa-like in a lot of ways. And I mean, people have talked about it all week, the penalties, the the turnovers. uh, It just wasn't a very good Iowa performance. And, and, uh, you know, there there were some some bright spots hidden underneath. The defense certainly, uh, uh, you know, gave an admirable effort, uh, uh, you know, holding Michigan to, to some of its its lowest uh, statistical totals of the year. So, you know, there's some things to, to be uh, taken from that. And you know, I think one of the things you take from it is you don't want to spot a pretty good football team at 10-0 lead. And and, uh, and if you're going to do that, you sure better not make a lot of mistakes. And I will, I will make too many in that game to, to really have, a, have an opportunity. Although with a minute left, you know, they've got the ball in their hands and, and the opportunity is still there. So, you know, I think that's that's the good thing to take from that is is it the, you know Michigan's a pretty good football team but Iowa is too they just didn't play real well on that given day and in a situation where they really needed to and uh, it didn't happen uh, it's a chance to to kind of maybe learn and and uh, build off of and and uh, certainly for some of the younger younger guys to to get a taste of that I think uh, can be advantageous moving forward and and uh, I, I think that uh, uh, the coaches have been pretty pleased from what we've been told with with the uh, the work attitude uh, this week in practice and, and uh, you know we'll see how that plays out on, on the field on Saturday night. Not to dwell on this much longer but I mean you use the term it was kind of an uncharacteristic performance the question is against good teams can they fix what went wrong up there I mean the penalties they, a whole slew of things went counter to their cumulative stats this season the penalties the turnovers Stanley's throwing those picks not keeping Stanley clean plus you know how many of those sacks might have been Nate's fault for holding onto the ball too long. Just all of those things, uh, all on the offensive side, were real problematical, and yet they come into this coming week with the chance to show that against that another really good team, and highly ranked team, that was an aberration. It's not unlike the situation that Michigan found itself in a week ago, coming off of their miserable performance at Wisconsin a couple of weeks earlier. This was a chance against a very similar team for them to to kind of right the ship. And they certainly came out very focused and and, and played a a very solid football game against Iowa last week. Iowa has a chance 
to do the same thing here. Uh, again, if you're Iowa, you don't want to fall too behind Wisconsin in the loss column uh, in the West. Um, and, and at this point, uh, you know, Minnesota as well. Um, you, you need to, uh, you know, if you want to hang around in the, in the division, the goals are still out there, but you've got to win, you got to win a football game. And that starts this week against a pretty, pretty solid Penn State team. And, you know, I, I, I think, I think Iowa is mature enough at a lot of the right positions that that message is going to get through this week. I, I expect another very, you know, solid, hard effort from Iowa. Uh, you know, how clean of a game uh, they play will probably have a lot to do with what that final scoreboard reads at the end of the night. One last thought on the Michigan game. I said this right after that game was over, that it reminded me of the giant turd Iowa's offense laid up at Wisconsin two years ago. And for some of the same reasons, the lack of productivity on the offense and what appeared to be the inability of Brian Ferentz to make adjustments for the most part at halftime and in the play calling to counter the pressure that Michigan was putting on. Yeah, I was certainly got, uh, you know, very very pass happy down the stretch and and yeah it was not it was not the best of days for Iowa in in a lot of ways and I think you know one of the things that Kirk touched on on Tuesday this week was you know in some ways they need to kind of tighten things up a little bit and and you know some of that is just you know cleaning things up from a technical standpoint but that also means kind of you know getting back to to the fundamentals of who you are and what you're about and I think Iowa strayed a little bit from that against the Wolverines and you know, I would be surprised if we see that again uh, on Saturday. Okay, on to Iowa hosting Penn State under the lights at Kinnick, the Black and Gold Spirit game. All kinds of fun things sell out crowd. It'll probably be nutso. 6:44 kickoff. The Hawks, of course, are four and one and one and one in the conference. Penn State's undefeated, five and zero and two and zero in the Big Ten. The Nittany Lions have won the last five games in a row, including two at Kinnick against Iowa. But prior to that, Iowa had won three in a row, and two of those were. Iowa City. Penn State's uh, top five in the FBS in scoring offense. They're fifth. Scoring defense are second. They're one of only two teams that fall into that category in the nation. And you're looking at two tough defenses that are going to match up in this game. You and I were talking before we started this segment about this is probably, without a doubt, the toughest defense Penn State's faced all season. And it'll be the most hostile environment for a first-year quarterback. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, um, you know, Sean Clifford has, has had a, uh, um, you know, a, a really solid start to, to uh, you know, his uh, starting career there, uh, you know, replacing Trace McSorley or doing what he can to to uh, bring to Penn State what McSorley has, has done over the past few years. And, yeah, it will be. Uh, you know, I, I've been to Maryland. That's not that's not a tough environment. Uh, uh, this will be their second trip away from, from Happy Valley and, and uh, you know with a with a full day of tailgating under them even though there's going to be a little nip in the air on Saturday night uh, uh, I would not expect it to be the friendliest of environments for the Nittany Lions the fans will be pretty much prepared for this one I think and and it's uh, you know it, it's a it's a situation every every quarterback every team goes through I mean you've got young personnel going out in, into that type of environment uh, you know uh, as uh, Kirk alluded to before going to Michigan he, he felt that going to Iowa State was a benefit for 
for for his team to to be in in that kind of situation to prepare them to to go on the road in the Big Ten and play in in uh, places like Ann Arbor and and uh, Madison and Evanston and and Lincoln, you know, the other places the road leads this season and and uh, it's uh, you know for Penn State this will be their first real test. It's under the lights. That's a little unique as well, and uh, it'll be a, a test for an offense that that has been pretty productive and. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford has, has done a nice job of, of, of uh, you know, delivering the football. He's, he's uh, hitting about a 67% clip in his passes. Uh, they lead the Big Ten in, in, in pass offense, second in, in total offense at just under 500 yards a game. So this is a pretty well-oiled machine. You know, they're, they're doing the running back thing a little bit like Iowa is. It's kind of been by committee, and, and uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, certainly been beneficial to them to this point. And, and they have some great receivers. And, and and as always with Penn State, it starts up front. I mean, that's 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 where, where the, the commonality between these two programs lies. It's in the girth and, and physicalness of, of, of the way they like to play the game and, and, uh, and the athleticism that they, they love to, to kind of have on the edge on, on defense. And, and uh, right now, both teams are, are terrific in that, in that aspect. The nip in the air will be just one of many nips that will be uh, encountered by Iowa fans during the course of the day, I suspect. They certainly will have that opportunity, yeah. Let's uh, turn and, and dig deep into the matchup between Iowa's offense and Penn State's defense. Uh, we've already touched on on this, one of the top defenses in the country, and um, you've got the Hawkeyes coming off their ineptitude offensively in Ann Arbor. And let's focus first on the Penn State defense. Talk about why they're so good and which players there make them that way. Yeah, you know, the, this is a Penn State defense that had a few questions going into the season, but it, it, it's a defense that certainly uh, has stained what Penn State has done the last couple of years. Uh, they, they led the uh, nation in sacks a year ago. They currently lead the nation in sacks with with 25. They lead the nation in, in uh tackles for a loss with 52 uh you know they've been living in other people's backfields all season long and you know it starts out on the edge and and um you know they they've got two two of the big tens best in in uh, in the inner gross mantos and uh and also on on the on the flip side in shaka tony and th- those are guys that are are experienced um they bring some quickness uh as well as size to to the edge on on, on the defensive front and and uh, they're going to get after you. They're going to be aggressive, and, and they're going to uh, to make plays. And, and uh, as uh, I, I, the word disruptive was used a couple of times yesterday by or Tuesday by Iowa players, and, and certainly I think that that's uh, that's an accurate description. Uh, this is this is a defense that's built to, to kind of get you out of out of your comfort zone, and, and uh, certainly those two guys on, on the edge. I mean, they're two of the Big Ten's best. Yeah, those numbers in terms of pressure are stunning. I remember. I remember a tweet flying across the screen as the Iowa game was winding down and watching Nate Stanley get sacked for the eighth time that in the Penn State-Purdue game, the Nittany Lions already had 10 sacks with time left on the clock. And I'm thinking, oh boy, that uh, that doesn't sound good for this Saturday. I mean, add those numbers up, Steve. 52 tackles for loss, 25 sacks, and 15 quarterback hurries. By my count, well, okay, get the calculator out because those are big numbers. 
Yeah, you almost need an accountant to uh, to kind of get those all added up. And you know, it's uh, it's what they felt like they were going to have to build their game around this year. Coming, you know, coming into things with a new quarterback, some some questions at you know at running back as well. And you know, it's been um, you know the type of start that uh, that uh, you know James Franklin was kind of hoping to get out of that defense. Uh, they've only allowed I think the three of their first five opponents. They've held three of their first five opponents below 10 first downs in a game. And I mean, that just tells you nobody's moving the ball on this bunch. And uh, um, it's, uh, you know, it's largely an upper class group. They're seniors, they're juniors, uh, and they're playing that way. Um, Some of them might not have a a ton of experience, but uh, you've got a guy in in Micah Parsons, an outside linebacker who's pretty active as well. Uh, Cam Brown lines up at the other outside uh, backer position for them. And, you know, he's an awfully good, awfully good uh, backer as well. So they've got, uh, you know, they've got some size. They've got some quickness. They've got a lot of things that, that you you like to see. And and they've been able to build some depth. There are 14 guys that have a sack uh, on this team right now. And that's, you know, that's uh, it tells you about where they're coming from and uh, uh, mostly and where they're going, and that's toward the quarterback. Yeah, their three starting linebackers are their three leading tacklers. James Franklin raved at length in his press conference on Tuesday about defensive end Shaka Tony, who's not a big guy by any means, but a great team leader and really driven individual. And as you mentioned, his experience. And then all the way in the back end, their two safeties are right up there as well, uh, Lamont Wade and Garrett Taylor. Yeah, Taylor's a senior, a graduate student as well. Um, Lamont Wade, um, you know, he's another guy that's that's been around. He's been through the wars, um, and you know, they're they're guys that uh, they they're capable. Uh, you know, they've only they've only recorded four interceptions so far far this season. So you know, their main objective is is to simply uh, you know to come out and get after you and 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 get you off schedule. And you know, if they can drop you on second down, which was which was an issue for the Iowa offense you know last week then then they've got you because then you're looking at third and long and then all of a sudden it it becomes a little more problematic to move the football so you're going to have some real interesting matchups here you got you got Shaka Tony and the other defensive end Gross Matos who will match up against Tristan Wirfs and Jackson and Jackson didn't look like he was really moving all that well maybe he was just rusty last week yeah Kirk Kirk kind of uh, alluded in his postgame count Comments that, that you know maybe he pushed Jackson a little too much in terms of, of, of expectations uh, for where he was at coming off of that knee sprain and he didn't look like the alert Jackson that we saw late last season or in the, in that opener before he got hurt and perhaps with another week of, uh, of you know just I presume some rest to try to try, try to get a little more healthy uh, he'll gain some of that mobility back but uh, you know I was going to need both of those guys to to have a fairly solid game against, uh, you know, the two guys that Penn State's going to throw them at the defensive end positions. Yeah, and giving the character of those two offensive tackles, you'd think they're coming into this game with a pretty big chip on their large shoulders. Nate, Stanley, well, his long string of pass attempts without picks went way by the wayside, and you wrote about his response to some of the external criticism he's taken this week. You know, as a senior leader and a longtime starter, he's expressed confidence that that really wasn't going to bother him. 
you know, I I think there's a pet store guy when you know when he when he's having somebody walk up to him on the street in Iowa City and saying, "Boy, things are pretty tough on Saturday." Uh, yeah, it does. I, I'm sure it gnaws it at him a little bit. I mean, it's just inhuman. He says he tries to avoid social media, um, well, which in this day and age is is difficult to do. And and I'm sure if he's not seeing it, I'm sure somebody else is seeing it and passing it along to him. And uh, you know, those are the things that uh, uh, you count on experience to kind of get yourself through those situations. And, and I think that that's probably the one thing that that Nate certainly, I think, has going for him. Is he, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that is, is going to let that stuff chew him up. Um, I, I've seen guys get awfully shaky after the after having a rough one. Uh, Nate has, has shown some resiliency uh, uh, and some of that's just his personality. I think he's he's a, he's a pretty straightforward kid and, and he keeps it down the straight and narrow for the most part in terms of, of keeping his focus where it needs to be and you know that'll benefit him moving moving forward but you know certainly I think he certainly was taken off of his game a little bit uh, it was far from far from his finest hour uh, as well and and you know he he was quick to admit that as well and you know one of the things that, that I think he realizes is that there are going to be times when you're going to have to get rid of the ball a little quicker than maybe what he did on Saturday and you know if that means throwing it away well then throw it away and and uh, settle for the incompletion as opposed to scrambling around looking for something that just wasn't there and this may be another one of those games where there aren't going to be a lot of things there because Penn State's defense is, is going to challenge Iowa and and, uh, you know, they're going to be coming after him. They're going to be looking for the same kind of holes that, that Michigan found in, in that offense. And, uh, you know, for him, he's going to have to step up and make some plays and, and make some quicker decisions. Uh, that was something going into the season that uh, that uh, he was working to do. It didn't play out that way against uh, the Wolverines, and, and uh, it will need to work out that way if I was going to give itself an opportunity to, to uh, find a way to win this football game. Season stats for her still pretty good he's thrown eight touchdowns against the three picks he's completing his passes at a 62 percent clip and he's thrown for 1225 yards there's a lot of quarterbacks in this nation that would love those stats Absolutely. You know, and I think some of that is, is you know, some of that's expectations. Uh, um, you know, he got off to such a hot start uh, around that 70% mark the first game or two. And, and uh, you know, that, that's that's not going to be sustained. But, but uh, you know, I think Nate is uh, he, he's surrounded by some receivers who are a little more productive maybe than what we've seen in past years. And, and uh, you know, I, I, one of the encouraging things that, that came out of that Michigan game were, were his connections with, with some of the freshmen. Uh, that Iowa has on its roster, whether it be you know Nico Regani or, or, or Tyron Tracy, or, or you know certainly Tyler Goodson is, is providing some some uh, help not only in terms of, of, of carrying the football, but also in terms of catching the football. Had his biggest day as a Hawkeye uh, against the Wolverines from from a reception standpoint, and, and uh, you know I, I, there's some real promise and potential there. And, and uh, you know five games into it, uh, it, it's still there's still a lot of football left out there, and, and to watch those guys kind of continue to grow and 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 uh, you know expand their roles within the, in the you know the confines of the offense, I think will be uh, will be kind of fun to watch over the next few weeks. Yeah, Smith Marset still Iowa's leading receiver. He's got 19 catches. He's got three touchdowns, averaging about 63 yards a game. To the point about Tyler Goodson, who he didn't have much success, but nobody else did either last week running the ball, but he sure did receiving the ball. And to the running backs, 
you know, it looks clear that we're going to continue to see the trio, the rotation in there of Sargent and Young and Goodson. But Kirk made an interesting point at his press conference on Tuesday about the reason that Ivory Kelly Martin had dropped off the depth chart. And he discussed the fact that maybe rotating four running backs in with any degree of regularity can lead to a lack of rhythm, so to speak, in the running game. Well, and I think that's accurate. A lot of times running backs feel like they need to get a certain number of carries or a certain, you know, be involved to a certain degree to, to find that rhythm, uh, that it sometimes can take a little while. And, and the more bodies you're throwing into a position, the, the more of a challenge that does become. And um, and I think, uh, you know, what we saw last week is, you know, certainly, you know, Makai Sargent and Torn Young and, and Tyler Goodson all got uh, – um, you know, a similar number of carries, and, and I think that that's probably the way it's going to be for a while. And I think what we're going to see is they'll continue to look for that hot hand, and if somebody on a given day happens to, to really, uh, you know, break out and, and seem to be on top of things, I think that's, you know, the direction things will head. And that's the direction things will head within the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, one week uh, it might be torn young uh, because, you know, maybe they need a little more of a physical back to, to kind of grind out some yards. Uh, other weeks, uh, uh, you know, things may be a little more open for Sargent or, or Goodson. So, you know, they all bring a little different look to the table, and I think there's uh, certainly some benefit to be gained from, from what all three of those guys bring out there. Another item of discussion on the offense at Tuesday's press conference was the lack of productivity so far from the tight ends, and Kirk answered as you would expect him to. Yeah, they need more of that and hope to get more of that. But how realistic is that, given the group of wide receivers that have. I mean, it looks like this year is the exact opposite of last year. The tight ends got most of the uh, passes thrown their way, and this year it's, it just looks like it's going to be the wide receivers pretty much all season. Yeah, I, I think what we've seen is we've seen that receiver group kind of grow to the point where they, they've become you know, a, a viable option on a consistent basis, and, and that hasn't been the case the last couple of years for Iowa, and you know, certainly the, you know, the, you know, the, the good flip side of the coin there was you had a couple of tight ends who were very capable receivers and you know I, I always wing the ball a, a couple of times uh, you know towards Sean Byer and, and uh, you know I think that probably will continue uh, uh, but I don't look for that area to, to become a, a particularly uh, um, you know a reception uh, uh, magnet uh, within this offensive structure, and I think that has a lot to do with just the, the growth of the program at the receiver position. And you know, it's been a long time coming since uh, you know since Bobby Kennedy's departure, and it, it's involved recruiting, it's involved uh, you know growing uh, receivers as they've kind of come into the program and, and learn the system. And um, you know, that's uh, I think that's a good thing. I think that that, that provides Iowa with some some options. Um, you know, and, and when you have a a capable receiver to tight end position as, as they did, uh, you know, it's back to that old scratch where it itches philosophy that Hayden Fry had, uh, you know, you, you're going to do what you can to move the football. And right now the receivers are giving Iowa that best option. So you have an Iowa offense trying to rebound and uh, reclaim some uh, degree of productivity uh, going up against one of the best defenses in 
the country, Penn State. So who has the edge in this matchup? Yeah, this Penn State defense has allowed 7.3 points a game and hasn't allowed more than, than 13 points in any game this season. So, you know, I think you have to give the edge to the Nittany Lions there. They've, they've been pretty good at, uh, at you know, just getting out and sicking people. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, that certainly, I think, is where things will start. Uh, you know, for Iowa to, to overcome that would certainly be a, a good thing for the Hawkeyes. But I think right now, heading into it, I think you've got to give the nod to, to the Nittany Lions on defense. Okay, let's turn to the matchup between Iowa's defense. Also, another one of the best defenses in the country through the first five games against the Penn State offense. As stingy as the Penn State defense has been so far through its five games, its offense has been at least equally as productive. Yeah, um, it's been uh, probably more productive than maybe they would have imagined. But, uh, you know, and a lot of that starts at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford stepped into a, a pretty visible opening in their offense. And, and uh, he's a Cincinnati kid uh, who, uh, you know, has both the ability to, to put the ball in the air and, and also, uh, um, you know, a, a set of feet that, c- that can move it on the ground. And um, they'll use they'll use the, uh, you know, the RPO as well as anybody in this league does. And, and uh, uh, it's been a it's been a productive offense uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it, they've been able to to kind of uh, pile up a lot of air, yards through the air. You know, they're 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 averaging uh, 305 yards a game passing um, as a team, uh, and, you know, in rushing, they're putting 194 on the board. So, you know, Journey Brown is, is not a running back that, that that a lot of people in this part of the Big Ten have heard of yet, but he certainly is capable. He's averaging about seven yards a carry. And, you know, he leads them in rushing at 43 yards a game, which, you know, pretty pedestrian number. But, you know, they've got they've got four guys contributing 40, 40 or more a game and, and a fourth in, in Devin Ford at, at 39-6, who's, who's right below that. So uh, they're, they're doing their production a little bit. Differently, but it's it, it's worked, and and it's uh, um, you know some of that's uh, some of that's Clifford and his ability to to make good decisions at, at the right time, and and uh, you know certainly one of the league's more productive receivers has helped the passing game, and in, in, in KJ Hamler, a guy that they've kind of concentrated on, on going to a little more frequently here lately. It's an offense that's uh, it's been pretty impressive so far, and uh, you know you look at 499 yards a game uh, on average five games into the season, and that tells you that the, you know they're moving the football. Yeah, they're uh, your point about Clifford, the quarterback, who was finished last season as the third string guy and probably wasn't anticipating starting this year until the second string quarterback transferred out. But he's uh, a classic dual threat quarterback. He may not be Trace McSorley, at least Iowa fans certainly hope not because he looked like some tech mobile figure. But he's their third leading rusher. He's averaging 40 yards a game running and he's only been sacked seven times all year. He's being protected by a line that, that is uh, is young uh, in some ways. I mean, they have a couple of seniors uh, out there, but uh, uh, you know they're they're also uh, you know they're starting a freshman at left tackle in in, in Rashid Walker, who's is a kid that uh, you know has uh, you know kind of risen to the top of the depth chart. And and on the flip side, you've got a junior in, in Will Frias, who's who is uh, you know a solid uh, junior, six six three thirteen, and and uh, you know. 
it's a it's a group that uh, I think there were some questions heading into the season, but uh, I think for the most part they they've answered them fairly effectively to, to this point. Yeah, the receiving core, the three leading receivers, two wide receivers, and one tight end. Here is a team that's using his tight end pretty effectively, Pat Fryermuth, who has three touchdowns and is averaging nearly 36 yards a game. But you mentioned Hamler, Dotson is another one. But there's been at least one game, as I recall, that Clifford hit 13 different receivers with completed passes. So he throws the ball around a lot. Yeah, they'll spread it around. And when was the last time Penn State didn't have a solid tight end? I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, Pat Firemuth is is a a sophomore, uh, 6'5", 256. Uh, You know, he fits fits the mold. And, and, uh, you know, he's somebody that the Iowa defense is is going to have to be, uh, you know, fairly cognizant of. You you think back to, to the games that, that Iowa's had so far, and you know they really haven't had too many uh, tight ends that have challenged them uh, in the passing game, maybe since the Iowa State game. So this this will be a little bit of a different thing for those guys. Uh, that, uh, um, but he's certainly capable, and and uh, you know it, it's just another way to, to keep the defense uh, kind of on its heels. And and uh, the way they've spread it around, they certainly have, have been doing that on a fairly frequent basis. Kind of interesting that you have two offenses in this game, both of which are doing running back by committee, which is probably the exception to the general rule, and certainly has been for, for both of these teams, I think. Turning to Iowa's defense, you still have your, your linebackers who are leading the way, but let's talk for a moment about a Pennsylvania native on this team. Who James Franklin on Tuesday at his press conference said, how did we ever let, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, how do we ever let a Pennsylvania kid who turned out to be this good leave the state of Pennsylvania? And that's, of course, Geno Stone. Yeah, I, I, I think he said he hated to watch Pennsylvania kids playing for other Big Ten teams uh, uh, having the kind of success that Geno Stone is having for Iowa. You know, and Geno Stone's is, is, success isn't just measured in numbers, it's measured in leadership as well. And, uh, you know, given the, the moving parts that Iowa has had in that secondary so far this season, uh, you know, this kid has really, uh, um, you know, em- emerged into to what we saw him being at times last year. But, you know, you don't have Amani Hooker and you don't have Jake Gervas back there with him. He had to be the guy coming into this season and and uh you know he's been the guy and and that's uh, uh you know you you pair him off with with jack corner who is who is uh you know doing a, a real solid job of at the free safety position as, as a kid who a month ago was you know a walk on uh, just looking maybe to get a few snaps in a reserve role and all of a sudden he's starting and uh you know gino is has kind of been the glue back there and and uh you know he certainly is capable of, of picking off passes. He displayed that a year ago when he led the team, and, and he finally got his first one of the season against Michigan. So uh, all is well uh, from that that aspect. Gino is uh, you know, no longer has that itch to, to scratch, and, and he'll be looking for number two now. But, uh, you know, it's part of it's part of what uh, you know the Iowa defense is going to need against a Penn State offense. It certainly is, is going to be uh, not shy about putting the ball in the air Saturday night. Yeah, the injuries in the defensive secondary have had a significant impact impact on the defense in terms of how Phil Parker has been able to scheme in game, but it's not really had that big of an impact in terms of the actual outcome. And uh, now they are getting healthier, uh, even a possibility Matt Hankins might be able to play this weekend. But one of the other really neat stories in Iowa's defensive secondary is Jack Kerner. It certainly is. And I had a chance to talk with him on Tuesday as well this week. And you know, Jack is, is a kid out of West Des Moines, Dowling, who, who's uh, committed to South Dakota uh, uh, when when Reese Morgan came
name calling and, uh, and and convinced him that uh that you know that there will be some opportunities for him and I was a preferred walk on and and uh you know the Kerner backed out of his his commitment. Uh, his other offers were from Northern Iowa and, and from South Dakota State, and and uh, he had uh, his parents had both graduated from Iowa. He grew up an Iowa fan, and and uh, you know he, he said Tuesday that he, he simply wanted to make certain that that he didn't go through life wondering what if, and uh, uh, for him, you know, what if meant getting a chance to come into Iowa as as a preferred walk-on to kind of work his way up, red shirted a year and then spending time on special teams a year ago and then hitting the field last spring as, as a uh, you know a guy who was in a position that was open uh, with Gervas with moving on the free safety job was out there he felt like it was a chance for him to kind of really to show what uh, you know maybe he could do and, and, and find out if, if he truly did belong and uh, uh, one of the things that uh, that uh, Kirk Ferentz alluded to on Tuesday was just how hard this kid has worked over the past couple of years and you know that work has continued as as he moved into uh, into the lineup when when Kayvon Merriweather uh, suffered that foot sprain, uh, you know, the day before the Rutgers game, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Jack kind of got thrown into action, uh, responded well. Uh, followed that up uh, the following week with eight tackles at Iowa State, and you know last week he he, he forced a fumble and and uh, and uh, broke up another pass, and and so you know he he's been pretty active back there, and and you know his his reputation at the high school level was was that he was pretty active. He was a first team All State guy and and all of that uh, at a Dowling program that uh, you know has strung together a number of four A state titles in Iowa. So you know he he's having a, a, a you know the time of his life doing what he wanted to do and you know he's another one of those great Iowa stories that, that Kirk Ferentz likes to reference and, and uh, you know he'll be tested on, on Saturday by, by Penn State for certain and uh, you know so far he, he's held up fairly well. Who has the edge in this matchup Iowa's defense versus Penn State's offense? Well I'm, I'm going to go with Iowa's defense here. <laughs> the Hawkeyes have, have, have given up 8.8 points per game. They rank third in the country in, in fewest points a Allowed and and at number two is is Penn State. So uh, you know the, these are two pretty stout defenses that that aren't going to give you anything. And and uh, um, I think that's where the edge lies. I think Iowa's defense is, is maybe just a smidge better than than a, a Penn State offense that will be tested in hostile territory for the first time uh, this season. Yeah, it's not just the points per game. Iowa's defense has only surrendered five touchdowns. They gave up their first rushing touchdown of the year last week. Penn State's only given up four. Okay, special teams, quick uh, look at those. Actually, this is probably the two best special teams facing off against each other in the games we've directly covered so far this season. Iowa's first. Keith Duncan continues to do just about everything Kirk could have asked. You know, 11 of 12 field goals, 14 of 14 PATs. Importantly, he's uh, hit all six of his field goals over 40 yards and longer. Yeah, and if you look at this game, this is one of those matchups where that leg to be pretty important, and uh, you know, as uh, Iowa saw at Iowa State, you need to have that guy who who's going to give you a consistent effort. Pete Duncan is a guy who's done 
right under the lights at, at Kinnick before, and uh, uh, you know the situation will be uh, fairly similar to to what he faced a couple of years ago against Michigan as a true freshman. And and uh, you know I, when you know when the ball's coming off his foot, it's it's looked pretty good for the most part this season. Caleb Schurdeck continues to do a pretty good job on kickoffs, punting. Michael Sleep Dalton had his probably his least productive game of the year last week at Ann Arbor, but he's still averaging 43 yards a punt, and he's uh, kicked six excess of 50 yards and six inside the 20. Yeah, you know, he's been fairly solid. Uh, he, he said that he uh, came to Iowa in part because he wanted to compete in, in colder weather, and, and it sounds like he may get that chance this week, and, and uh, you, you throw a little breeze into it as well, and, and uh, you know, it, it will uh, be an interesting challenge for, for not only him, but, but for the Penn State you know personnel as well. So, But yeah, I think Iowa has to be, for the most part, pleased with, with uh, Sleep Dalton, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the punt coverage team has, has benefited from, from his consistency over the course of the season. Both teams have good kick returners that uh, can be explosive. K.J. Hamler for the Nittany Lions, and of course, Amir Smith-Marset, who you can tell is getting frustrated with not having a lot of opportunity to return kicks, but he, you know, he showed last week again how explosive he can be, and raise your hand if you don't like this fair catch kickoff rule. It seems to me it's been taking a lot of a lot of potential excitement out of the game. Yeah, you know, it's one of those. It's a safety kind of role as part of the implementation, the reason behind it. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think it, it has taken some of the excitement out of out of things. And, uh, you know, when, when you've had some success like Smith-Marset had a year ago, it does tend to reduce your opportunities. People are going to find ways not to not to let you average 30 yards of return. And, you know, that's that's been kind of a tough thing because certainly Iowa benefited last season from, from his ability to, to have the kind of returns that uh, he, we, you know, We've seen him make time and time again. Punting, Penn State has a good punter, Blake Gilligan. But here's an interesting stat, Steve. Iowa's only punted 20 times all year. And look at their offensive stats. Penn State's already punted 21 times. And look at their offensive stats. That just seems like some kind of weird anomaly. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, Gilligan is, is, as you alluded to, he is one of the better you know, punters in the Big Ten. He's, he's, he's uh, you know, he's placed 10 inside. The inside the 20. I think maybe, you know, in Penn State's situation, I think some of the, you know, they, they've probably benefited from, from field position. Uh, their defense, uh, you know, dropping teams uh, in, in pretty deep territory that maybe the fields that they've had to, uh, been faced with maybe haven't been quite as long in, in terms of uh, what the offense has had to do. But uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, statistical, uh, you know, comparison, and, and uh, that there is a difference there for sure. Place kicker for the Nittany Lions is from Iowa, Jake Penninger from Ankeny Centennial, who's been solid. He's four or five on field goals, thirty-one of thirty. 31 on PATs, his leg's probably tired. Yeah, and he he was a guy that that started a year ago for them as well, and and he, you know, he's been, uh, he's been well used, and and he's got, uh, they they haven't needed to use him from any distance. His longest uh, kick of the year is 38 yards. Um, He hasn't even attempted anything beyond 
40 uh, at, at this point. And, and uh, uh, you know, and that's also a byproduct of an offense that is, is moving the ball a little bit, too. And, uh, you know, I think that that's uh, – but he, he's certainly a very capable kicker. And, and uh, you don't step into that program as a first-year guy and start unless you're uh, capable. And, and he certainly fills that bill. And he shouldn't be uh, cold and wind, uh, shouldn't bother him. I've been to Ankeny, and, and it's uh, it, it, it can bite there a little bit, too. Time now. The prediction, Iowa Hawkeyes, Penn State Nittany Lions, two top 25 teams facing off under the lights at Kinnick Stadium Saturday night. Yeah, you know, and and two extremely good defenses. I, I think this, uh, um, you know, this has a chance to, to be a, another one of those classic Penn State-Iowa games. And, you know, I, I think I went home under the lights with with, uh, with Penn State's uh, quarterback facing his, his first true hostile road test you know I, I think it's going to come down to to the fourth quarter again and I and I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing in in, in uh, Keith Duncan's direction this time around I I, I see this as a 17-16 Iowa win um, and I see Duncan's like making the difference when it matters most all part of God's great plan Michigan went back to the drawing board after the embarrassing loss at Camp Randall. They executed well last week against Rutgers, shutting them out. Came into this game, a big game, and they defeat the Hawkeyes 10-3, handing Iowa their first loss of the season. Big win for the Wolverines. Huge. Can't be overstated. What a performance by that defense. The final score here at Michigan Stadium. Michigan 10, Iowa 3. Our thanks again to Fox for the Iowa-Michigan game highlights, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson and John Bonenkamp. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 13 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.